Hi, Karan. Hi, Shasma. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? Good, good. What have you been doing whilst in lockdown?、Um, If I know you, you have five different projects on the go. Oh my god! No, I just realized that we've been in lockdown for close to two months, and I haven't been as productive as I wanted to be. But yes, I have been cleaning my home quite a bit. Literally cleaned windows and took out the、yeah. windows from the the rails and cleaned them, spring cleaned everything, curtains, and just taking care of the home as much as I can.、Um, it was also kind of. Just prepping for Mother's Day a little bit this week, spending more time with my mom,、um, working on a few of the projects,、uh, editing a, a documentary that I'm helping a colleague complete. So stuff like that. Just、uh, trying to stay upbeat. Spending a lot of time with my nephew actually. Oh yeah, on Zoom.、Um, yeah, on on what's I think it's also interesting for me to see what's happening in Switzerland、yeah. and what's happening in Europe because it's very different. Um, how they're dealing with the COVID lockdown versus well, how we're dealing with it in Canada. So.、Uh-huh. Uh, so that's kind of the the benefits of having family members around the world,、yeah. living in different places. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. what have you been up to? Um, I've been doing a lot of cooking and baking because I'm a cliche, apparently. Um, no, but like I <laughs> somebody called you a cliche. No, it's because because everybody on Instagram is like showing all of their cooking、oh, okay, and baking、okay. projects. Thank God I'm not a cook. Well, not a baker yes, we know this about you. Um, you have some controversial opinions, which we will not get into on this. Yes, <laughs> we shall not get into、um, controversial opinions and too much privilege that I don't have to cook. So both are problematic, obviously. <laughs> yeah.、Um, no, like I actually, you know, I love I love cooking and I love trying new recipes and trying new things, and I kind of have always been that way. And this just gives me more of an opportunity to do that、um, because I have more time, more free time, and more kind of time around the house to. Try things, and I have my partner with me who can I can make my guinea pig and、um, try stuff on. So been doing a lot of that, and I'm also kind of a big believer in cooking your own food and making your own stuff, and so you know what's going in it. Yes,、um, yes absolutely. And you know where it's coming from. I believe that. Yeah, too, I mean, I like it's just how I grew up, and it's also you know it's a little less convenient, but it also means for me it's a little bit more reward.、Um, so I've just been doing a little bit more of that, and I have a really keen interest in like the history of food and things like that. So I've been reading a little bit about that.、I've Been doing some writing.、Um, that's it. So I guess we should also kind of say this will be our last episode for、um, the winter, early spring kind of season.、Uh, yes, we're taking a break. For the summer, and、uh, we won't be recording an episode、um, in the summer, and we hope to come back in the fall with new, fresh ideas, new things, new、uh, projects, new exciting projects. Yeah.、Um, TBD. But to be yes, exactly TBD. <laughs> but you've already had amazing ideas that you've pitched, so we have to talk about those. But we're taking a break in the summer and see how things go. Ideas are still an embargo, Mr. Chatterbox over here. <laughs> <laughs> But、uh, I guess we've been living with the the new reality of COVID for now a couple of months, literally a couple of yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel? What's been happening? I have my thoughts. A few, I guess, thoughts that I can share today about、uh, how I feel it's impacted my life and、yeah. how I see it will impact my life in the in the coming months as we slowly open our. Societies. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about. That's a good segue because、mm-hmm. uh, we're here in Quebec, and、um, Quebec is the first to kind of 
do a larger scale reopening of the economy. Um, I have, I, I don't know what to think about this, to be honest with you, because the last time, I think the last time we talked, I had said that I'm actually quite impressed with the way that mm-hmm. the government mm-hmm. is handling this. And then in the last few weeks, in the run up to this reopening, I've just been like, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Because you said one thing last week, another thing this week. Now they have a credibility problem. Um, I, I think the move to open up the schools um, was an interesting one, particularly given that the bulk of our teachers are above 60. And they had said something about if you're above 60, you should be staying home. And then the week the week after, after they wanted to open up, they were like, oh, no, it's 70. So you can go back to school now and teach. I just think it's uh, it's been fascinating to watch the gymnastics around when they're asked questions. I remember one press conference, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was just before they had announced, or just around the time they had announced the reopening. Um, François Legault was asked a question around, um, you know, the premier is kept quite safe from exposure to the to the illness. What are you going to do when you start opening up the economy and inevitably people are going to be more in contact with you and people are going to be around? And... Um, uh, how are you going to be able to keep safe and how are you going to ensure that they're keeping safe? And he was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And I was like, what? What do you mean I haven't thought about that? What's wrong with you? It's unclear to me what the strategy here is, except that they want to open up the economy. And, and I think what has happened, I was reading this yesterday, there was a detailed analysis of, and they kind of did a week-by-week analysis of how the government has responded with the yeah. press conferences, kind of decoding uh, Lego's press, press conference was this in specifically. The, it, was this in the Gazette? Yeah, it, I, yeah. it was in the Gazette. I also read something on, in La Presse. Okay. Um, it was actually called accountability. Mm. And I think what's interesting is this whole idea that in the beginning, everything seemed to be, they had a handle on things. Uh, they were even credited by the, I guess, the early response, whatever that means, that Quebec uh, had to the COVID crisis in terms of the quick lockdown and taking control of the situation. And suddenly in the past two weeks, everything's just off the rails. Yeah, There is confusing messaging. And I'm what I'm surprised about is that obviously as a politician, François Legault has obviously created this mess of confused messaging but even people who've been working with him and somebody who's the uh, director of public health Dr. Aruda he too like in his own uh, discussions about wearing of masks etc and there's just no clear information that's being uh, given to us in terms of what they feel is important Um, and I think that's what's really bothering me now that what happened suddenly are they not getting their information properly again? Or And I think the, the point of the crisis which turned for the government was, I believe, the problem that came out in the Dorval long-term care facility. I think that's when uh, I believe things went off the rails because the government came under a lot of pressure and yeah. they had to just scramble literally to address the, the deaths that were happening and the lack of staff, etc. Yeah. And from I mean, then this on, has been it's an been... existing issue, right? So it's only yes, highlighted, absolutely. as we discussed before, this this issue in long term care homes has, is not new. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it takes a crisis to really bring it bring it to light, I guess, in, the, in this in this way and put pressure on people. So but that I... became to me the turning point of this whole um, yeah. the government's response uh, to COVID. So now it's yeah, it's it's a bit troubling now where we're going, given the fact that now we'll be slowly opening the economy and schools, etc. So sorry, I think I cut you off. You were saying no, that's okay. I was going to segue to the next point. I wanted to sort of highlight the people that are actually working in the care homes, the people that are being relied Absolutely. on to work in care homes. You hear about you know the government kind of mandating any healthcare worker, whether you're a speech language pathologist or a nurse or a personal support worker, to work in the care homes. Um, without much agency for your own safety. 
Um, I think that that's a bit concerning to me. Um, I was listening to some news pieces and some analysis pieces that interviewed people that are working in the care homes and, and they're there is such trauma in the employee or in the cl- in the kind of group of people that are man- mandated to work yeah. in the care homes. Just as a baseline, it's actually very concerning to me in terms of what is our long-term strategy going to be here. Because as I said, we, we already had a pre-existing issue in the care homes. We have an, a pre-existing issue in terms of public health workers generally, um, in terms of labor shortages and things like that. The government doesn't make it easy for people to get into 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 civil service absolutely or with. within the into the professional labor market right exactly. whether it's accreditation or recognizing exactly. foreign qualifications and we've kind of mentioned this in our other episodes as well i think what was interesting to me was that the government just as a carte blanche they allowed any international students um there's a caq permission that is required it's called the certificate certificate d'acceptation de quebec which every foreign student needs to carry yeah. during their studies and that was just extended across the board mm-hmm. till the end of december so i find it interesting that the government does take decisions and implements measures when it benefits them right because they want to make sure students can can complete their school year they don't have to go back while people who are asylum seekers or people who are working on maybe Mm -hmm. seasonal work visas etc they're not treated in the same vein exactly and to add to that point the other group that the government is relying heavily on are asylum seekers. So there are a mm-hmm. lot of refugee claimants, many of them who, whom are Haitian, many of whom crossed over at Roxham Road. You'll recall that this was a, a yeah. big election issue. Um, yeah. And Francois Legault really took it head on. And there's a bunch of controversy around immigration policy in this in this province mm-hmm. now, which we can sort of outline and refer to or get into later. But many of them are actually bearing the brunt of that service, bearing the brunt of that mm-hmm. work. They're the ones on the front lines working and doing the work that other people don't want to do. Like they're doing the caregiving work. They're doing, you know, they're doing that healthcare work that is not appealing to the rest of the population to do right now. They're kind of on the front lines. Hansel Lego called them, you know, the guardian angels. Yes, um, yes. And yet, and yet asylum seekers are so vilified in particularly in Quebec and with the ele- electing of, of Francois Legault's party, you, you knew that this was an issue. And here we are, ironically, a few months later or a year later, whatever, however long he's been in power, dealing with a situation where the brunt of the work is being conducted by these people. And we don't even know, we don't even know if they're going to get their visas. Of we course, don't know if course. they're going to have their claims approved. Um, you know, you, you just mentioned when it benefits the government. Well, we're yeah. here in a situation where they're clearly exploiting a situation that's to their benefit. And I don't know that they're going to get their visas. And I don't know if they're going to get to stay, which is a shame. Yeah. And it's not only a shame. I think it's a public policy thing, right? We always have to have a crisis to mm-hmm. be able to confront other institutional, other structural problems. Yeah. And that's what's unfortunate. So we'll see, I guess, how things uh, turn out or how in the next few months the, the government continues to respond to this. What is also interesting to me is that um, we live in a world where there is, uh, and this is kind of a philosophical idea I'm just throwing out, it just came to me, this whole idea of the role of government, right? And we yeah. can talk about it in detail maybe some other time. But the government has been, especially in Canada, has been so present throughout the crisis, whether in terms of manning the healthcare system, making policy in relation to both lockdown, how you manage the lockdown, who stays open, who not. So the government's involvement, even within a, a capitalist, capitalist structure is so important. And the accountability of the government in turn is so important. Because one of the things that I'm looking at is also is how do we come out of something like this and what impacts it will have 
on our lives. So sure, Canada is not facing an election or a democratic process, but will we ever have a normal democratic process where we can go out and vote if we have constantly pandemics and epidemics that we have to deal with, right? Yeah. How, what does it mean for our democracies? What does it mean for our rules of law in terms of making legislation, etc.? So, and looking at what's happening yeah. in the U.S. particularly, um, I keep asking myself, like all the, the primaries were canceled, right? Thank God we had a nominee on the Democratic yeah. side, like a presumptive nominee in Joe Biden, but all the primary elections were canceled. So yeah. we don't have the same problem in Canada yet. We just elected a federal government. But are these questions going to be asked in terms of uh, how this will impact going forward our political process, our democratic process? Yeah. And should we be thinking about those things? And even just in terms of public policy, right? So just going back to my previous point about the asylum seekers, is the government actually going to listen to the calls that are that are coming out from community groups to mm-hmm. create mm-hmm. a, a you know, a special immigration program for these people. I don't, I don't know. I find it challenging to see a leader in, in one breath, call these people guardian angels. And on um, the other side, taking, not yeah. exactly who are taking the brunt of, of what are actually pre-existing problems within the system, particularly in terms of long-term care homes. And then in, in the next breath, just like punching them in the throat after such service, not giving them the credentials to stay. Uh, I guess we'll have to see um, what happens. But, uh, you know, we can we can proclaim that our immigration system is based on compassion and economic opportunity for all. But we'll have to see with action what they do. Right. Um, Just again, in the breath of of public policy, um, you know, in Montreal and Marianne-Nord, we have the highest number of cases of COVID. Tying it back to the asylum seekers, this tends to be a neighborhood where a bunch of newcomers live. Um, It has a high population of newcomers, Haitians and things like this. And uh, it's no surprise that that this is what we're seeing now in that neighborhood, that the cases are spiking in that neighborhood because these are people that are working on the front lines. And so, of course, they're going to contract the illness. So this speaks to an unevenness in our in our system in in terms of um, the health and security of certain groups versus others. Um, And that's why you're starting to see calls or kind of collective calls of people advocating for the government to collect race based data when they collect when they collect data on COVID and collect data on health generally in in the country. Um, So we're seeing that in Montreal now, because I think that it'll once you actually start collecting that data, you're going to start to see where the trends are and where the actual inequities are, because it doesn't just speak to who's getting sick in what mm-hmm. neighborhood. It speaks mm-hmm. to a bunch of stuff. What neighborhood you live in speaks to your economic status, your social status, your labor, um, kind of inherited um, or non-inherited wealth um, or lack of it. Those are factors that are very important when you're thinking about general inequity. So Toronto has already started to do that. Um, to collect race, uh, race-based data to better assess the the impact that the pandemic is having on people of different race, racial classes and income classes. You know, comprehensive data is always good uh, to make more kind of evidence-based policy decisions. So we'll we'll see what comes out of that. But my guess is that there are inequities in how who's contracting the disease because of the type of labor that they do, because of where they live and how they live. And I'd be interested to see what comes of that. Um, so Toronto's taking a lead on that. So we'll see what happens there. And because most of the scientific um, discussion out there is speaking to the fact that this is not the the only, either whether it's a wave of COVID or 
um, pandemic that we'll be dealing with in the coming years, given climate change and all these other things that are affecting the planet. This is going to be our new normal when we'll be facing similar crises going forward. Mm -hmm. So I think everything that you're talking about, whether it's collection of data, whether it's identifying which are communities that are most affected by something like this, I think it's important to start making policy, a, having policy discussions and then creating policy frameworks to address these issues, right? Yeah. Because there's not a one-off. COVID exactly. is not a one-off. No. This is something we'll be dealing with in the years to come. And I think that's why my personal concern has been in terms of how will we come out of this and how will it impact uh, our own lives and lives of our communities going forward? Because obviously there's the the big issues about social distancing and opening of smaller industries, et cetera, et cetera. But then on a day-to-day -day basis, um, how will this all of this impact uh, people on the margins, people who are vulnerable? A lot of people have talked about COVID as like the great equalizer. Um, I actually just think it highlights a bunch of inequities and systemic problems that we've had pre-existing. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's an equalizer sure. Anybody can get it that we get. But I think, yeah, there's but other... The impact, no, not anybody yeah. can get it. Like, yeah. you know that there are people who... There are racialized and, and low-wage workers that are working yeah. in particular um, industries and in particular jobs where they don't have a choice. They're Absolutely. going out there. They're yeah. not staying Absolutely. Home. So and of course that's they're the, going to contract it more than you. That's the other thing that I've been thinking about so much that I'm lucky that I can work remotely and my work allows me to work remotely, right? But that's such a, a privileged, I would say, idea about, yeah. um, sorry, upper class thing, right? How many people A, have social systems that allow you to A, not work or be able to claim government support or assistance and B, be able to work remotely on a long-term basis. Exactly. If you're a migrant worker, you have to show up to work because you have to feed your family. So it's yeah. a choice between earning a wage or uh starving right and i think sure it's a great equalizer in the sense of um, who can get sick but if you actually dig deeper it's not a great equalizer no not it impacts all. people very differently it impacts uh certain communities more than it does others and obviously there's economic factors that determine whether you can choose to go to work or not right? yeah whoever the hell is uh, saying that stop saying that or <laughs> Or you could say it, but qualify like nuance it. it. Qualify yeah, it. <laughs> with exceptions and multiple exceptions that come with. Oh, I have an anecdote to share though. Uh, throughout, through COVID, I've had this very interesting experience. I had to call the clinic for a, for a small medical appointment. And I was very, very happy because the one thing that is a huge pet peeve, having grown up in in privilege in a country uh, where medical medical services are differently offered. So I grew up yeah. in India and for me, a family doctor was just a phone call away, right? So you could yeah. just call the doctor and be like, They'll I'm going to show over, up at your yeah. clinic at yeah. 9 a.m. So that's not how it works in Canada, right? So all of my experiences in the past decade or so that I've lived here is always showing up at the clinic at 7.30, waiting for your first little questionnaire at the reception, then the nurse triage, and then if the, the walk-in clinic is open, you would. So it's like a six, seven hour ordeal waiting in the clinic. I won't even deal. talk about um, if you have to show up for emergency or something. So I've been very, very impressed. So the other day I did call the clinic at eight o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. to make my appointment. The appointment was offered the same day. Then a triage nurse called me a couple of hours later and then the doctor called me a few hours after and then there was a follow-up call that happened the day after and everything happened in the privacy of my home like I didn't have to show up at a clinic and and obviously from uh, this is what the doctor also said that diagnostically they could not really diagnose anything because they couldn't see me physically right and obviously it doesn't apply to to every situation but for minor little medical appointments that sometimes I have to show up for I was extremely pleased that I did not have to sit at a clinic for eight hours so okay. those three phone those three <laughs> phone calls were just amazing 
It was amazing. Yeah, I would prefer my... that. I would prefer that there there is more efficiency in actually in person visits. No, because um... I think one of the the biggest criticisms is the the burden that the healthcare system face faces yeah. with people just showing up, right? Yeah. That's why we have all this like uh, engineering work going into uh, apps that are being developed. Exactly, yeah. apps that are being developed for wait time so that you can just get a text message at home that you show up yeah. to a clinic, etc. So yeah. just the efficiency with which it worked, I was just just pleased that I did not have to leave leave my home at all. And I was just I called upon whenever they were ready to talk to me. It's funny so. that we're talking about this as groundbreaking when it really shouldn't be groundbreaking. Well, yeah, of course. Like. It's groundbreaking because for the 10 years of suffering <laughs> and waiting for hours upon hours. 10 years of suffering. No, it's true. Every time you go to a dentist and you have to wait for an hour. In a, pl- in a country where we have free health care everywhere, 10 years of suffering. An hour and a half is a normal wait time, even at a dentist clinic when they offer you I the know, appointment. Right? They give you the time when you should show up and yet you have to wait. So I think to maybe to people, it seems it may seem completely like unimportant. But to me, I was just very, very pleased by that yeah. whole experience. The world, I think the world is going to look so different. Like I yes, was talking, yes, yes. I was talking with my partner about what what this means for our social interactions going forward. Like, can you imagine? Like, I, th- I don't know. Is there trust in do we have trust in other people now to to know that they're keeping themselves clean and safe and yeah, healthy and. Uh, do you wanna? Do you wanna be in close quarters with people? Do you wanna go back to work? Uh, there, I, I just think like there might be some level of public trust that's been gained in our institutions, but perhaps you know, barring the credibility issue that now I think François Lego is facing, um, in my opinion. But you know, I wonder if in in terms of society, in terms of our relations with our like fellow kind of com- community people. people yeah. Um, whether that will decline and how how we are now going to interact with people, how are we going to go to the movies? How are we gonna how are we gonna um, experience arts and culture? Like the summer is upon us in Montreal. What's good? What's summer gonna look like? It's and I fascinating. think the one thing that I've missed the most during the lockdown is going to the cinema. That's something that I love doing. Yeah. And I was reading something today and they're looking at opening, especially these two big um, cinema groups that we're talking about when they'll reopen. They're looking at mid-July as this kind of tentative date. They'll be comfortable opening cinemas and there'll be like these protocols in place where you'll have to have distance between like people seated, etc. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a completely new reality, not just showing up to watch a movie, even making movies, showing up yeah. on set. Like how do you manage large groups of people who are working together in such close proximity in in different um, uh, physical situations, right? So it's going to be very interesting. Everything's going to change. I think everything's going to change. I think the trust aspect works both ways because on the first, on one end, we'll be so distrustful. We're already so walking away from people on like sidewalks and avoiding That was my baseline. That was my baseline, guys. I already didn't trust people. (laughs) So what's going to happen now? So I think with that, on the flip side, you'll have to just trust people and take them on their word that they're washing their hands regularly. I don't know. I never do that though. I don't do that. I don't trust anybody. What have you what have you been watching? What have you been watching? What have I been watching? Oh my god. Okay. So I so okay. So what's been interesting to me is Never Have I Ever. We can have mm-hmm. a conversation about Never Have yes. I Ever. It's that new Mindy Kaling show. <laughs> I'm a very critical person. Uh it's a might be a problem to me for me, but um I'm disappointed. I gotta say. I have to say I'm disappointed because I went in with a lot of expectations. If I had gone yeah. in with like zero expectation, it was Mindy Kaling I knowing know, that it's her yeah. TV show and I heard so many things about it. So that's why I went in with so many expectations and I'm like, oh, this is it. And I think I was surprised that she did it because Mindy Kaling has a, a brand, right? She, yeah. Like, like she hasn't really t- spoken about 
us, like people of color, yes, right? Yes, in her yes. uh, creative work, at least not not in any kind of like fulsome, meaningful way. So I was, I, you're right. I went in there myself with expectations, and I should have known that I would have been disappointed. The one thing that I was really shocked, surprised, disappointed was the complete lack of nuance. And I would have expected more nuance with both the narrative, with how representation has been dealt with, etc. And I'll just kind of leave it at that because we can go into a long rant about what's wrong or not with the show. But I yeah. think just the lack of nuance to me was a bit surprising. I think that there are some things that we should maybe uh, say, like in that it does kind of break uh, stereotypes in some ways. Yes, um, for sure. The main character is seeing a therapist. We know that that's considered taboo in South Asian yeah. communities. Um, um, the kind of the parents are painted as having like a loving relationship. The the dad isn't like overbearing and like mean and super like yeah, yeah. Uh, you know patriarchal really that I've seen uh, thus far. Like the the yeah. women are not painted as like subservient and 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 uh, oppressed in that way necessarily. So there's you know there's that, but. It's still stereotypical in a lot of ways. Like, And I think st- stereoty- stereotypes are fine. Like the even representing stereotypes is fine. Obviously, there's value to it because stereotypes exist because they are, right? But I think to me, it's just that there's just the necessary ones and just the other ones which are like, yeah. why? This is not how people speak. The characters exactly. speak why like this. Why do the accents have to be like this? But- you know what I mean? Those little things that became irritants to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't want to go into a long yeah. rant, so... For entertainment, it's been it was fun. Like I've watched, I yeah. think all eight episodes already. For but... entertainment, it's fine. But you know, I think this is very much a like a, a thing about Mindy Kaling's adolescence, like her kind of never feeling like maybe she belonged in one place or the other. Because which I think thematically like... is universal and brilliant. I think. Yeah. Um, and from but, South Asian uh, lens, yeah. I just think that there is a level of kind of intelligence in the writing that you have to have in order to get all of these nuances across. And I'm not sure that this show does it. That's all. For sure. For sure. Okay, well, stay safe. Uh, I It's it's unfortunate that we haven't seen each other in, in person for a while. But uh, as always, stay safe. Uh, hope I'll see you soon yes. and we'll talk more. And, and to our um, audience, you know, let us know how you're holding up. If, uh, if there's anything you're watching that's interesting, if there's anything you're doing that's interesting, how are you getting through uh, lockdown? How are you dealing with COVID? Yeah. If you're alone, living alone or not, yeah. and how you've let been dealing know. with it in the comments or in yeah. our socials so you can find us at ethnic vote mtl um feel free to engage with us on any topic you wish thank you for listening thank you for listening Bye. take care shazma the ethnic vote is hosted and created by shazma abdullah and karan singh and produced and edited by alexander Jureko. Music is Rewind by Jay Someday.